1: And I believe that that's really why you're here. Christ died for us. History Makers. Hi, and welcome to History Makers. I'm Matt Prater. Today we're speaking to author and speaker, Rach K. Ruse. How are you, Rach? Very
0: well, thanks. Matt, yourself?
1: Very good. Now, you have got an incredible story to share with us today of really going through uh, one of the worst stories I've heard uh, with regards to domestic violence. But then, out of the ashes... God has risen you up and you're now being able to help others get through what you've been through. Uh, let's unpack a bit of your story today, Rach. Tell us a little about your upbringing. Where were you born and raised?
0: Okay, I was born in Brisbane, um, lived over the north side of Brisbane in Hendra, so amongst all the horses over there, all horse trainers. Um, grew up the youngest of four kids, very strict Catholic family. Uh, went to local Catholic schools. And uh, I moved over to the east side uh, of Brisbane um, and went to Catholic Girls High School um, and uh, began my love of music uh, and singing from about the age of, I'd say, about three or four. (laughs) (laughs) And I was a bit of a performer and entertainer and, um, you know, I loved to dance and sing and create music and started taking that pretty seriously at about age 12, 13 was when I started studying uh, classical voice.
1: And then you got pretty serious as a singer after school. Tell us what happened.
0: So by about grade 12, I was accepted into Conservatorium Junior Music School and did a year there whilst also singing at weddings from the age of about 15. Um, Continued to sing at functions and weddings and events after school, sing at big concerts, did some stage and theatre work. Um, Also did a, a, a small role in a Disney film. Um, so that was, that was pretty much my goal was to, um, to get to LA and, and, um, and study acting or, you know, to, to go to Italy and sing opera and, you know, something creative. That was sort of where, the, where I saw my path leading.
1: And then at some stage you got involved in a relationship that was really, you couldn't describe it anything else other than it, it, it was hell. Uh, t- mm. Tell us how that happened.
0: Yeah, look, I was actually singing at a wedding match when I was about 22 and uh, this uh, gentleman was actually um, involved with the music at that wedding. Um, So when we met it was simply business uh, as far as I was concerned and, um, you know, he, I guess, got to know me over a few months, um, you know, sort of made uh, some some indications about, oh, you know, come and work with us a bit more in in this field and, you know, I'll get you some more gigs and, and, uh, you know, tried to win me over. Um, and then we ended up actually dating um, because it was quite uh, persistent and we ended up dating um, when I was, you know, 22 and a half Um, and from there on for the rest of my 20s, as you say, it was was hell. It was um, a very violent and volatile relationship. Um, I lost my self-esteem, my self-confidence, my ability to make choices. I was isolated from my friends. Um, I was abused physically, emotionally, sexually, socially, financially. It, uh, it, it really did change my life and, and the outcome you know, that I had, had visualised for my life and what I thought my life was going to turn out like um, completely was turned on its head.
1: I'm curious to know, so when you started dating him and you started seeing early warning signs that he was abusive, mm. Mm. did you uh, were you too scared to get out? What were you going through?
0: thing, that hindsight's a wonderful <laughs> yeah. uh, gift. You know, we can look back now and say, oh, there were some early warning signs. And even even after the fact, years later, I've been able to look back and see there were some other um, incidents of, of physical violence that he wrote off as an accident, um, that he wrote off as not intended. And, you know, when, when you start to be I guess, that, that love is blind. You know, you start to fall in love with someone or you start to believe their good side. And, you know, he created a lot of empathy for himself. Um, he would justify his behaviours and actions. He would state that, you know, he, was, um, he wasn't being obsessive, um, you know, it was because his previous girlfriend had cheated on him, you know, and he was worried I was going to cheat on him too and that was the justification around his behaviour. And, and so I was probably quite naive in giving him the benefit of the doubt in the initial stages. Um, when he first used physical violence against me, um, he wrote that off as an incident. The next time he did was a, an absolute slap across the face and uh, that 's when I told him to to get out and i wanted wanted nothing more to do with him and again, you know he came back and it was it was that cycle of violence to understand the, the psychological control and the cycle of violence where the perpetrator you know um, does a violent act, then they go back to sort of this, you know, phase of I'm sorry or, you know, I didn't mean to or, you know, justification again of their behaviour and, and that's the time when they really pull you back in. And unfortunately, you know, I, I did believe his lies and I did believe what he was telling me and I, I fell for it every time. Mm-hmm. And uh, the more I tried to get away the more he'd text me, stalk me, turn up at where I lived, contact me at work. Um, and you just start to feel really trapped and, and sometimes I think you feel it's easy to just kind of give in than, than to fight it um, and you start to, to kind of think that, well, maybe that person does love me and that's just their way of showing it. So for me, I didn't understand a lot about self-value and self-respect and, and what love and what a healthy relationship looks like and so I've used that experience to then go back and speak to high schools you know, and educate kids about respectful relationships because to me it's imperative that you get that training you know that education in high school, so you can make better choices. And if if I'd had that Matt when I was in high school, um, I I don't believe I would have stayed in that relationship.
1: And you've been able to write down your story so that others can be helped and impacted and inspired by your journey. Uh, mm-hmm. Tell us what that was like writing it down.
0: Look, it's, it's been quite difficult. Um, you know, still writing um, my book. Fortitude and faith is the title, and. I think people think it, you know, oh, they'll be quite cathartic for you is the comment I get. But um, look, there are some great memories. I think back to my childhood and I think back to some really fun times that I had prior to that relationship. Um, I've been really blessed by God that I've been able to reconnect with some friends that I had before that relationship, um, you know, and and laugh about some great memories. Um, But to really relive it, I guess what struck me is that I sometimes think, how am I still standing? You know, Matt, how, how am I still breathing and living after everything that my body and my mind and my, my spirit was put through? But I I have this unwavering faith that God was there through it with me. You know, God lifted me from that and he kept me safe. And, you know, there plenty of times I yelled out, you know, God, where are you? Like, why why have you done this to me? And I kept blaming God when really it was, you know, like like the old saying about foot, the footprints in the sand, you know, when you only see one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. And so, you know, I, I had my, my fights with God, I had my struggles with God, but, you know, I, I made a promise to him at one point that if he helped my baby and I survive, that, you know. I would then do something positive, and I would, you know, I would do something to help other people because I, I think it was really at that point, Matt, that I realised I wasn't alone, that I couldn't have been the only woman going through this, and that I really just somehow knew that God was giving me the ability to survive and, and to get out and, and to thrive.
1: So tell us how you did get out in the end.
0: Ah. Uh, Look, I went through, obviously, a process where I was living in my car. When I was pregnant, I was living in my car. Then when I had my baby, because it was the only safe place that, that we had, um, that was a real struggle. My, my partner at the time had taken all my savings and gone through all my money, so I literally had a baby and I was broke. Um, I finally enlisted the help of a, a social worker that um, my best friend put me onto, um, who was a Centrelink social worker, who then put me onto some services, um, and then I was able to um, get a loan and, um, you know, find a rental apartment. Um, and, you know, I remember moving into that apartment. And I had really nothing, Matt. I didn't have much in the way of furniture. I didn't have much in the way of clothes. Um, I didn't have much in the way of toys for my daughter. But I remember just the relief at waking up the first morning in this apartment and knowing that my ex was not there to grab me and beat me and throw my food against the wall and all these things that he did like, like a routine every day to me. Um, it took me time. It took me actual time to, to convince myself that he wasn't going to walk out and do something to me because I was there with my daughter and, and, you know, that I felt at the beginning we were fairly safe. But unfortunately, the stalking continued and we had to move several times over the next three years after that. So, you know, when people leave, it's not always the end. The most dangerous time for a woman in a DV relationship is when she leaves and when she's pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do want to say, though, to women who may hear this not to think that they can't leave because certainly, you know, women say, I'm too scared to leave or I'm too scared he'll kill me, you know, if I call the police because he's threatened that. And, look, my ex threatened those things too, but he tried to kill me regardless of whether the police were called or not. Um, You know, and we've got two women dying a week in Australia at the moment, the hands of of a perpetrator. So we really have to step up and help women to get assistance and to get safety planning and to get in touch with DV services, Um, you know, so we can get, you know, the next generation of kids living in safe environments, having these women supported and living in safe environments. And, you know, we've really got to stop the cycle. And we have to hold these perpetrators accountable for their behaviour. That's the biggest thing. They need to be held accountable.
1: And you got involved in a local church that really gathered around you and helped you out. Tell us what happened there.
0: Yeah, look, I, I, um, when my daughter was little, I started going back to a Catholic church, and I just found there was a few people, um, you know, that sort of would talk to me, and I'd, I'd sing occasionally at church, but I just didn't feel really connected. Nobody knew what I had experienced and gone through, and so I felt, still felt really quite alone. Um, I tried a couple of other Catholic churches and and again, I just was, you know, this single mom. I felt quite ostracised as, as a single mother. Um, like I had done something wrong, and uh, and and I I just said to my daughter one day, look, I just feel like there's something more. It's about a relationship with Jesus. And she's such a smart girl, Matt. And she said to me, "Mummy, I just I know." She just knew that <laughs> I know. And uh, I spoke to um, a friend, a new friend that God had put into my life, and spoke to him, and he had his own story um, of. You know what he'd gone through in his life, and he mentioned um, you know a couple of um, you know Christian churches to me, and I said, oh okay, I might go check them out, and, and I did start going to one that was so different. You know, I'm walking in, it's like a rock concert, and I was like, <laughs> whoa, what's this? And you know, I love the music, and I I just really love the people, and I, I thought, wow, there's this there's, there's something here. I just felt like, you know, God was reaching out to my heart, and um, some amazing things happened. You know, I know God was at work in me, and. And then I went through a pretty rough time um, emotionally and and, um, and I, I pulled back away from God a bit. And then I um, was going to sing at a function and was told to contact um, this pastor who was actually running this event um, to rehearse. And I thought, okay, yep, I'll contact them. And, and it was actually a church I'd visited once before. And I walked in and the people were just so welcoming and loving and, you know, I sang with them, I sang at this event and I hadn't sung in public for quite some time and, and I just gave it to God, you know, I was like, this is for you, Jesus. And, and I sang and I felt so alive, you know, I just felt really good and really loved by these people and, um, you know, it was only like three months later that my daughter and I received our water baptism, you know, and we became born again Christians and, and you know, I was just astounded at the difference that it made to my life. And um, I'm sorry, I just get really emotional when I think about it because it was at that point that I just I just felt like I wanted to know more about forgiveness and I wanted more joy in my life and I wanted to learn more about God and, and walk with Him. And, you know, when you surrender yourself to His love, Matt, it's just you would know and, and a lot of Christians know for people who might hear this and and question their relationship with God I think that God hasn't worked in their lives. He is at work every single day in us. And when you surrender yourself to him and his plan, he does amazing things and he will bring all the right, wonderful, loving people into your life. You know, and I see I see my daughter so, so filled with joy and the, and the spirit, you know, and it's so great as a parent to see her come from such a situation that we have to now be so blessed and to know that, you know, riches are not having the latest iPad or having the latest toys and gadgets. The riches are having, you know, church family and, and having friends that that love us. And that's, you know, we're so rich with our relationship with God because he blesses us every day. You know, to be alive is, is a blessing. And, and that's just um, an amazing gift.
1: Well, Rach, right. it's an incredible story you've been through. And I'm looking forward to hearing how God's going to open more doors for you as a speaker, as an author. Looking forward to uh, seeing you make, an, make a difference and influence others that have been through uh, what you've been through. So if people looked at the White Warrior Challenge against domestic violence on Facebook, is that a good way to find you?
0: It certainly is, Matt. Thank you.
1: Wonderful. All right. Well, Rach, I reckon you're history maker. Thanks for joining us.
0: Thanks very much.